Welcome to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. The fact that you're listening means you're ready to be inspired and empowered to take your life, love, and leadership to the next level. Hello, my friends. It's Matt Morgan. Welcome back to week three of Why People Cheat. And if you're just joining us for the very first time during this series, I want to remind you that the focus of this series is not just why anybody cheats. There's a lot of different reasons. But specifically, what we're going to talk about is why people who genuinely love each other, who have a great relationship in every other area, still find themselves stepping outside of the relationship and they're dating, engaged, or married life. So we are literally hitting the perspective from being cheated on, which was last week. And today we hear from Dave, who is the one who actually was the perpetrator in the specific act of an affair. And so for that reason, Dave, thank you so much for the vulnerability for being willing to share your story in the hopes of helping other people who have struggled through what you've gone through. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. So tell us your story, man. I mean, what happened? Tell us about the relationship you were in and kind of how it led up to the affair a couple of years ago for you. It was a slow slide. It was a business friend, actually, that I had met on a business trip. It was a very platonic relationship at the start, and, and I think that's kind of the tricky part. It's very easy to justify these friendships or these relationships in the early stages. And as her and I connected more and more, you know, as we find out that we had similar interests and we find out that we were very compatible as friends, it was very easy to slide into that, you know, emotional aspect of the relationship. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little choked up here because it's very difficult to look back on and see how easy it was and how almost in plain sight it was for me to be able to catch that, but not be able to catch that in the moment. So for you, this was an emotional affair more than an actual physical affair. Is that accurate? Correct. Yes, it was emotional in scope, but sexual in nature, if we're being honest. So this goes on for how long? I would say from start to finish, probably six to seven months. We heard, you know, from Hannah last week about her perspective when she found out she found your phone, right? And there was the communication back and forth of sexual communication. I would love to hear the emotional fallout from your experience being found out and what you went through. In the moment at the time, it was almost as if the floor had dropped out, right? It's this gut dropping like roller coaster where the floor just disappears on you. And there's nothing to say or do except to express that you're sorry. It's like you realize that you have committed this grave crime against this one person that you love. And this is like a blanket just gets tossed over your world, you know, of guilt and shame and rejection and fear. It's this terrible cocktail of every emotion that you don't want to experience in the moment just kind of tossed on you right then and right there. So what were some of the stories you were telling yourself with the fear and the shame at the first week of being found out? For me, it was this shame spiral. You know, I felt remorseful, guilty about what I had done. And it kind of bled into this like self-worth of like, you know, hey, if I'm this good person, why would I do this to this person that I love? And then that goes back into me being angry at myself and being like, oh, you should be better than this. And then at the times where she might want comfort, I would want seclusion. 
right? I would say, I'm not worthy of your grace. I'm not worthy of your forgiveness because I shouldn't have done this in the first place. So I would, you know, sequester myself away from her. And then it just feeds back into itself, right? I'm alone. I have no one to tell me that I'm not worthless. And so then I continue to think, oh, well, obviously I'm worthless because only somebody who's worthless would do this to somebody they love. You know, so many people that I coach who are married and the person is the perpetrator and actually did the cheating, what they do is they try to make it right. They've said they're sorry so many times, but the guilt and the shame continues to spiral downwards so much so that they're the ones who end up filing for divorce as a way of almost trying to atone for their sin. For you, I mean, you talked a little bit about that, right? Like, you know, we asked Hannah why she stayed. I'm curious for you, like, how did you stay? I think it was in an effort to make things right and that I wanted to show her, hey, I'm still here and I'm still committed to this. This is what matters to me. It also, because when I thought about the idea of leaving, I realized that there's nobody else out there that would make me as happy or as satisfied as she did. And as much as it hurt to stay in that moment, and I knew that staying here wasn't going to be comfortable. It wasn't going to be fun for an undetermined amount of time. But we had made this pact, you know, at the point we were four years in, and I think there was no illusions to, you know, where we were going to go. We knew that the next step for us was marriage. The next step was, you know, completely being together. And I thought I'm not going to give up potentially 70, 80, 90 years of happiness for potentially the next five years of pain, you know, or however long it may be. The time that we would still be together and be happy was going to always overshadow this current time that was painful. You talked about an undetermined amount of time, which is a very healthy perspective. But did you ever have like, well, okay, hopefully within three months, we should be good now. Or like in your mind, like hopes of like six months now, at least like I paid my dues. Like talk to me about that struggle because a lot of people who have done the perpetrating are like, can we just be done with this by now? Can we move on? Talk to us about that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really hard thing to have to tell yourself and be honest with yourself is that there isn't a timeline, right? There's not like some sort of checklist where it's like, hey, at six months in, you should be walking, you know, 10 months in, you're running. Like it doesn't work that way. And I had a friend, a very close confidant who told me the way you measure this progress is in months, not weeks, not days. Because I told him, I said, there feels like there's some days where her and I get along really great and we're loving and we can accept that I did this thing and we're going to make steps toward progress. And the next day can be the absolute opposite where she's angry or she's sad and there's nothing I can do, you know. And he told me, he said, I think you need to measure progress in months. Is this month better than last month? Is this quarter, you know, these three months better than the last three months? And that put things into perspective for me that I was like, okay, you know, we're playing the long game here. This isn't day to day. This is month to month. It's month to month. And then it's not linear even still, because this is actual trauma that someone feels and experiences. And so if you are the one who has actually done the cheating in any capacity whatsoever, years later, <laughs> that same trigger, which for you, for her is the phone, right? Yeah. She found out through the phone. So that's the trigger. So anytime she sees you on the phone, that's it. Understand that, you know, you could be having three months of no issues whatsoever, years down. And then one day out of 
the blue, suddenly it comes out and completely everything changes and it's back to it again. It's like, oh my gosh, here we are again. And oftentimes that can feel very deflating for you and for others like you because it's like, oh my gosh, am I not done enough? Is there never a moment I've achieved enough, said I'm sorry enough, you know, apologize enough? Are we ever going to get through this? And the fact is like, this is just trauma that can be curved and be like, okay, I get why you're doing this. When she does this to you, how do you handle that today? Because it's been a couple of years now. It's something that you have to handle with extreme patience. So when she gets those moments and, you know, I won't say that we're recovered because, you know, as you said, it's a progress of years, you know, my very first initial reaction is to be silent and listen. And it's very easy when somebody's sad and it seems like they're being unreasonably sad because it's been years later and somewhere out of the blue, somebody's sad and she's, you know, blaming you or maybe angry at you. And you're like, but today was a great day. I don't understand. My first thing is I shut my mouth and I listen. And maybe I hear the exact same things that I heard for the past couple of years about how she feels and how upset she is. And in which case, you know, I, I say the same things. I'm sorry and I regret it and I'm going to do everything I can and I am doing everything I can. But every now and then there's something that comes out, even now, that take my breath away. I'm like, oh, I never knew that you felt that way. Or something that I say in response that I'm like, oh, I never knew that I felt that way. And, you know, it's building that foundation back up again, piece by piece. But there has to be this moment where you shut out your mind and you just listen to your partner and the feelings that they need to express to you. What are some of your biggest fears you have today, even still in the aftermath, even though it's been a couple of years? <laughs> For me, the biggest one is that I felt that I had fundamentally changed who she was. The first four years of our relationship were amazing and wonderful, and I thought I knew exactly who Hannah was and what she wanted and all the aspirations in her life. And after she found out about the affair, it almost seemed like she was a completely different person. And at first I thought, well, this person can't be as amazing as Hannah was originally because now she's broken. I broke her, right? And I don't know if I'll ever be able to fix her, right? That's really hard to see. It's really hard to observe the person that you care so deeply about and know that the reason that they're suffering is because of you and know or at least assume that maybe you'll never be able to repair what you did. And I thought the world needs Hannah. The world needs that beautiful person. And I might have just ruined that. Your heart for her is so beautiful that that's your greatest fear. It speaks so much to your great character. And I think that there are so many men and women who have been on your side that feel that way, who genuinely love their partner the way that you do. And we can tell through the tears and the emotion. You know, so many fears are like, too, it's like, am I broken? Or am I going to cheat again? Or am I ever going to be able to compensate whatsoever for this? You know, are those other fears that you wonder as well for you? I think so. I think it's a lot easier to tell yourself that you'll be able to improve. I certainly tell myself that and I hold strong to the belief that, you know, any problem that I have with right help from those around me that I can fix. But it's very hard to not be able to fix the people that you love. I don't worry too much about whether or not I'll be able to fix my problems. 
as much as not being able to fix hers because that's what I want to do. That's, you know, why we're in this relationship is to help each other. And I'm worried that I might not be able to help her in this. Well, you know, I always tell people who are on the cheating side, you can't correct what you're not willing to confront. And one of the things that I'm so proud of you is that you have not shied away from the hardest conversations and try to bury them and pretend they're not there. You have been willing to peel off the Band-Aid, rip it off, and let those wounds go through and actually heal well. And this is the thing that I'm so proud of you guys on and why I think your story is going to be so helpful for people is because you've struggled well. You've faced it and you've confronted it. And, you know, if you yourself are, my gosh, I'm in the middle of an affair and I haven't told my partner, I have gone through this and they've, I've been found out and you want to tell them, you know, I want you to know there's a few different repair tips for the side of the person who has done the cheating. And I just want to give the first one is to transfer vigilance. And, you know, the one who acted outside the relationships actually needs to be the one to take on the role of remembering and holding the affair and awareness when all the temptation is to do is the opposite is to forget about it and move on. And so what's really powerful is that, you know, you're the one who actually does that. So typically the partner who has been betrayed, feels compelled to ask questions, to obsess and make sure that this terrible thing doesn't get swept under the rug. And so the wanderer then is usually too eager to put the unpleasant side behind them. But by reversing these positions, you guys, we change the dynamic because surveillance rarely breeds trust. <laughs> yes. You know, Hannah talked about policing, like that never does anything, right? And trust is the currency of relationships. So if the wanderer holds the memory of the affair, then he or she actually has an opportunity to give their partner to ensure that it isn't forgotten. And if you bring it up, it invites the conversation about it. And so, you know, on one end, it's like you want Hannah to trust you that she doesn't need to look at your phone. On another end, it's like, hey, maybe every once in a while I'd be like, oh, Hannah, I'm getting in the shower real quick. You know, like, let's go to dinner here. Can you just grab my phone and check that out? Like little things like that to give her like the peace of mind to be like, you're doing the surveillance for her. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So powerful stuff for those of you who have gone through this, that you actually need to be the surveillance one. The second tip is this, you guys. Oftentimes people who have done the cheating, they say like, I don't know how many more times I can apologize. Do you ever feel that way? It's like I just share over and over. It's just the same conversation over and over again. And oftentimes people say to me, well, like he or she, it doesn't seem like it helps. If anything, it almost makes it worse sometimes. What is that? And, and here's why. There's a difference that the person who's been cheated on wants to understand. It's the difference between shame and guilt, okay? When your partner sees how bad you feel, it doesn't help. Why? Because I see how bad you feel is actually about your shame. I see that you feel bad that you got caught. I see that you feel bad that, you know, you're the one hurting. All of that shame. But when that person doesn't realize that you're saying, I hurt you, and I'm sorry, and I feel guilt. That's guilt. I feel guilty for I hurt you. Everything gets changed because the shift is crucial for the betrayed because shame is the state of self-absorption, you guys, but guilt is an emphatic relational response that inspired by the hurt you've caused the other person. And that is when healing can actually begin for the partner is when you feel guilt for them. And so powerful stuff for you. And then third, you know, you talked a little bit about like 
man, you know, when she brings it up and she gets triggered, what do I do? And I think just keep reminding him, keep reminding her, hey, it's you I want to be with. It's always you. This helps reassign them that value back to them. But realize, though, again, that every time that phone buzzes, that could be the trigger. And trauma is not linear. It's like it just gets pulled right back. And that trust, all of a sudden, it's like you took three steps forward and then it felt like four steps backwards all of a sudden with your partner recoiling. But you can continue to, to create that, those tips. So I'm curious for you, now that it's been a couple of years, what are some of the things you realize? Big question that so many people ask is, why did I ever do this in the first place? I love my partner. So for you, I'm sure that has just like been a turmoil of a question for you. What are some possible answers you've discovered so far through that? Not that it justifies or it makes it right, but it helps you understand like, oh, this is maybe what was going on inside me. Yeah, that's the million dollar question, I think, right? And for me, it boils down to one big thing and it was ego. I think as a male, it's innate in my nature to want to be admired, to want to be set on this pedestal and not that Hannah never loved me or told me that I was great or put me down, but it's far easier to find that admiration from strangers than it is to foster some sort of appreciation for the person who's always there for you, right? Because that can get monotonous and feel old. Like, oh, of course Hannah loves me. Of course she thinks I'm great. She has to. She's my girlfriend right? Or she's my fiance or she's my wife. And I think it's very easy to find a stranger who you don't know that well, who tells you those things and for that novelty to feel great. And I sought that out because it was easier for me to stroke my ego that way than it was to just be happy with the fact that I have this beautiful, amazing person at home who already feels that way about. And it was born from maybe even this lack of confidence in myself and the need to reward it from other people rather than trusting myself and saying, yeah, I think I am great. I think I'm awesome. And I think I'm wonderful. I needed other people to reward that for me, to feed into that desire. You know, oftentimes when people step outside of that relationship with that ego, there's also other needs that are maybe not being met in that relationship the way that you necessarily wanted. And we talked about in week one how the yin and yang of love is certainty and variety. Certainty that you love me, but variety that things are changed. And so I want novelty. I want all these things that are, that are fun. And it's like fire needs oxygen. You need to play. Was that happening in you? Did that stroke the variety piece? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think the easiest realm to talk about that is sexually. If you're with the same person for years on end, it's easy to know what's coming when things get hot and heavy and they're, you know, making their way to the bedroom. You've been through that routine, if you will, a thousand times. You know, we went through the week of sex, right, where we talk with Jaya and her program and we identify what it is that we like or dislike or what it is that we naturally are inclined to do. And having some sort of definition around sexual personality types. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Around like, oh, that is who I am and what I desire in the bedroom is such a powerful tool because I think, you know, when you do have a sexual affair, whether it be emotional or physical in it, as we did, you have to look back into, you know, 
was our sex life where it needed to be. And I think, you know, we just didn't have the tools or any sort of identification to determine whether or not there was a problem, you know? Yeah, which for you, you know, and if you're wondering who is Jai and what's going on, you can go back to our other podcasts and see Wired for Pleasure and see that there are actual five different sexual personality types that we have. And probably the one with the biggest platter of voluminous understanding is the one that is the shapeshifter. And so there's sexual, there's kinky, there's sensual, and then there's this shapeshifter. And the shapeshifter has this platter-sized sexual appetite of being able to connect, not just physically through sex, but emotionally through sex. You know, being able to connect and communicate and have a buildup and surprise, all of that kind of stuff. There's a depth and a nuance. You test it out as a shapeshifter. Yes, I did. And Hannah knows I don't make things easy for her because I had to pick the most complicated of the five, (laughs) of course. Yeah, so that's not anything wrong with you. It's just now I learned I have language and now we can understand how to connect with one another. Because the goal for those of you who are maybe, you know, thinking about cheating and stepped out on that, you know, or currently in it, the whole next step is this. When you're trying to feed that mystery variety need and you understand that mystery is not about looking to new places, but looking with new eyes. That's the goal of how do I see my partner with fresh eyes again? And that is a lifelong journey that you get to do together. So if there was anything that you would like to say as we close out here to people who have been in your shoes, what would you say to them? I would reiterate the point that growth and progress happens in months and that there isn't a timeline and that you know you have to be patient that when it flares up that the answer to that the solution to that is meeting uncertainty with silence right and if you have to say the same thing and mean it of course if you have to say the same thing say the same thing because it may not feel like there's any progress to you but there may be significant progress in your partner And the other thing that I would suggest is find a trusted friend. You know, Hannah talked about not essentially airing it to everybody in the world because you don't need people's bad words affecting your guys' relationship. But for me, having one person who would be honest with me and say, yeah, you did something really stupid, but I'm here and we love you, right? That was what they said is they were like, I love you and I love Hannah. And I love you both together. And so I'm here if you need me. And having that person to just talk to when things felt difficult or when I needed to vent, if you will, it went a long way. And it can definitely break you out of that like shame seclusion cycle where you feel like, oh, I'm worthless and Hannah deserves somebody better. And I need to just get out of her life because I'm making it worse for her. That person can step in and say, no. It's not, you did a bad thing, but you're not a bad person. Wow. That is huge. You just separated what you did from who you are. Which is difficult to do. (laughs) Yeah. I've had an emotional affair. I cheated, but I'm not a cheater. Yes. That is so powerful. And that is the healing message that if you can get through to your head, those of you who are listening will be. The difference of you you being able to bond to not only this relationship, but if you leave or they leave you, any relationship moving forward, because that will stay with you. 
So Dave, thank you so much for sharing and being willing to share your story. And so for those of you who have gleaned well from this or know someone that may be struggling with this, please share this with them. I really appreciate that you're on, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Matt. You guys take care and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. Subscribe below, share it with your friends, and if you want to take your life, love, or leadership to the next level, check us out online at mattmorgan.com.